Hello, everyone. Welcome again to the Badass Podcast, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast, where we talk about Batman the Animated Series. But today, we're talking about Batwoman, the animated feature. My name is Clay McCormick, and with me, as always, is Sean Murphy. How you doing, Sean? So I know normally this is where I come in and derail the conversation with some weird story, but mm-hmm. I've got nothing. <laughs> I don't know. I've gone through all of my stories. I'm I'm out. And maybe it's just because I didn't really love this movie. It's just, it just hasn't inspired me to think of something crazy to say. <laughs> you've been you've been cooped up at home too long. You got to start living your life again, making new stories. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it gets any worse. My non sequitur would just be the sound of a gunshot. Ouch. <laughs> Because <laughs> you're hunting in the backyard, right? Yeah, yes, sure. Yes. Uh, yeah, we are ta- we've, we've, uh, we have covered all the episodes of the show. We've done two episodes of Superman where in which Batman appears. Uh, and now we are on to the last of the tradi- – I guess it's technically – yeah, I would call it the last of the traditional Batman the Animated Series movies, which is Batman mm-hmm. Mystery of the Batwoman. Which is from 2003, which is a lot later than I thought it was. I just, I guess all these, the timeline for this show and everything related to it is is a lot more squished in my brain. Like, mm-hmm. I, I associate this style of animation, Batman animation, pretty much exclusively to the 90s. Yeah. So, um, to see it popping up, like, in this style that late is surprising to me. Yeah. Um, but it's directed by Kurt Gator, written by Michael Reeves story by alan burnett and so it's it's all it's three of the guys from the original original crew uh they've been there since the beginning and we also in addition to that have the short which is called the chase which uh it's called uh chase chase me chase me chase me excuse me yes i did not do there we go chase me (laughs) i had not heard of this uh until today i was watching it to review uh the whole movie to review for this podcast and I couldn't keep track of the plot, so I was on Wikipedia like, what the hell's going on? <laughs> and um, it talked about this, like, silent, they call it a silent film, mm-hmm. uh, but it's basically like a five-minute short of Batman and Catwoman. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was delighted to see that there was this gem from my childhood that I never actually saw, so that was pretty cool. Like, long story short, I think this whole thing might be worth it just because Chase Me was pretty cool. Yeah, and that, that was uh, uh, written by... Paul Dini and Alan Burnett and directed by Kurt Gaeta. And yeah, I I uh I really liked that. Um I guess we could start let's start with that just cuz uh yeah. it's a little bit shorter. We can get it through through it pretty quickly. Um yeah, I liked that a lot. I was kind of wondering why it was there. Like I don't know yeah. what Like it's it's cool. It's good, but I I'm not I it's not featuring really any different characters or any different animation style or anything it's just another five minutes of batman and catwoman which i'm not going to complain about because i like both of those things but yeah i'm looking it up online because i don't know anything about the context of this and even the wikipedia is pretty empty um but yeah who made this i know who made it but why did they make it what was the marketing behind it they clearly put their best effort in. Like, this was definitely one done for people who really wanted to do it, you know? Yeah. Like, I don't see much of, like, a 12 to 15-year-old appear appeal here. This is pretty much for adults, but it's, like, pretty classic. Especially D&D. based on the music they use, which is, like, <laughs> elevator jazz. <laughs> yeah, I think that was part of the charm. I didn't mind the uh, bossa nova piano theme. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, it's, Which that's, is weird, because... 
Sorry. I was just going to say, well, you're a fan of uh, Cowboy Bebop, and isn't that basically the soundtrack to Cowboy Bebop? <laughs> kind of, yeah. It's funny. You know, one of my critiques of the uh, Batwoman movie is I didn't think the music fit. Mm-hmm. Um, it just didn't feel like Batman the Animated Series. That should feel like a 1920s to 40s type of theme. And when they put in, like, music that doesn't fit that era or that genre, it just pulls me out of it. Mm-hmm. So using the cha-cha and all that stuff was like, what the fuck is this, you know? But um, in the context of Chase Me, I thought it was really clever because you could tell from the get-go they were doing something different, so you just kind of go with it, you know? Right, yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's it's uh, it seems to just be like a fun exercise of, of doing a silent film um, that's yeah. just all told entirely visually, which I appreciate because dialogue in movies is overrated. Um. Yeah, it's... I, oh, go ahead. That's funny. Normally, when Batman kisses Catwoman, I cringe, as mm-hmm. I've established many times in this podcast. Mm-hmm. Um, I think there's a few times when Batman has kissed someone where it felt okay. Like, when he kisses kisses um, Talia in the desert uh, in the Rachel Ghoul episode, I thought that was fine. That mm-hmm. was earned. Um, but and this one actually does, too, because he kisses her, but then she realizes that he actually cuffed her to the gate so she would get caught by the police. So mm-hmm. there was like two reasons why he kissed her. And I thought that was really clever. Yeah, I when when he kisses her, I was actually kind of surprised by it because <clears throat> I don't think yeah. that they've ever done that in the show. Have they? I, not that I can remember. They've never had him and Catwoman actually kiss like that. It's all been very flirty, mostly on her side. Is that um, true? Has he never kissed her? I no, it surprised me enough that if it if it has happened previously, I do not remember it, which is not really saying much because my memory retention for this stuff is pretty bad. But um, yeah. I, w- I think they did. You keep talking. I'm going to find it right now. Yeah, I was take. I was kind of surprised by it that they would because I I kind of associate the Batman and Catwoman actually making out stuff with more modern comics. Like that seems to be something that's been very prevalent in the last like ten years or so. Yeah, um, it's. And so to see it in this cartoon, it kind of threw me for a loop. And then you get the reveal that, oh, he was just uh, using using his uh, m- bustling male pheromone masculinity <laughs> and, and passion in order to As trick her into uh, uh, yeah. trapping her. So he ha- they have kissed in the animated series. Oh, really? There's a couple of screenshots of uh, her in the gray costume. It's got to be season one, two, or three. Um it looks like she's kissing him, and he's allowing it. Yes, uh, I, that would be a, a division I would I would <laughs> stand by because yeah. I think there's a difference there. Yeah, right. It's hard to tell. There's a lot of fan art of them kissing. Oh, in I that bet. Style, <laughs> which is starting to creep me might out. Might want to might want to scrub <laughs> that history when you're done with this. Man, some of these are so well drawn too. You almost fooled me. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna stop before I get into the tentacle porn. Ah, yes. The, Where the real animation is. Yes, the Batman tentacle porn. Uh, but yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I thought it was a little, a nice little short. Um, yeah. Especially since this is the, la- really the last appearance of this version of Batman for a while. I, I guess the next thing that shows up, the next version, the next place this version of Batman and this animation style shows up is in Return of the Joker, I think. Yes. The Batman Beyond movie so you know what that's a good question when did return of the joker come out um 
Of course, my internet slow. Yeah, this is uh, this is where two guys just Google stuff. Return of the Joker was in two thousand. Yeah. So, the, oh, okay. So this is actually after that, right? Yeah, that, so, that's that's what I was thinking, but I didn't want to say. Okay, yeah. yeah. This is the last time. The, the next time we see Bruce in this outfit is in the Harley Quinn movie. Right. Yes. Um, <laughs> I think. And and much like, much like <laughs> other late sequels in which they bring back things people are nostalgic about maybe they shouldn't have 2017 that one came out so we've got a 15 year period between the yeah i know this anyone who gets older has the same thought all the time but it's insane how time crunches together like 15 years when i was a kid felt like forever it felt like a decade and a half oh totally now (laughs) it feels like they both feel like recent movies to me (laughs) well i I was just recording an episode of uh, <clears throat> Rotten Horror Picture Show, our horror movie podcast with Amanda. We were doing yeah. our, our Patreon episode on It Chapter 2 because we're doing all Stephen King movies on Patreon this year. And mm. uh, that movie came out in 2019. That felt like it was 200 years ago. I don't know if it's just because the last three years have been, you know, it's kind of like a gas leak year where everybody just kind of wants to forget everything that's happened in the past three years. But yeah. in 2019, in my mind, is both, oh, that was just last year, and it's also, wow, that feels like it was 100 years ago. Mm, yeah. But yeah, I, I didn't uh, realize uh, this came after Batman Beyond. It actually, <clears throat> it, it doesn't answer a question. Uh, it kind of, well, let's get right into it. Okay, so the Batman, uh, Mystery of the Batwoman, uh, yep. is uh, a story where uh there's a new super vigil, vigilante superhero with a bat motif on the on the scene named Batwoman in a silver bat mm-hmm. suit, and she is trying to take down uh, the Penguin, Rupert Thorne, and a guy named Duquesne, whose first name I can't remember. And right. uh, you know, uh, there's they they introduce three new female characters, all of whom they kind of position as possible identity true identities of batwoman so batman is now trying to figure out who batwoman is and also to stop uh these bad guys and batwoman's a little bit more violent than batman is she doesn't mind pushing the line a little bit bane shows up for a while towards the end there's a big fight and they reveal that it's actually all three of these women are all batwoman at the same time or i guess different times but also at the same time yeah uh yada 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 they all they save the day end of story don't forget uh batgirl sort of flirts with bruce yeah i i would like to get into that a bit as well um (laughs) but uh but yeah so the batwoman in this movie is essentially like a silver version of the batman beyond suit with a cape yeah and i guess before i looked up the dates and stuff in my mind i was like oh i wonder if this came out before batman beyond maybe this was like a dry run for that kind of costume it very much is not and so i was kind of confused as to why they went with such a uh similar design yeah and a boring one at that i did not like her costume yeah the silver, just, silver and red are just not good colors together. I would have seen her. Uh, one of the things I would draw is I'd redesign her costume completely. <laughs> right, right. Well, I, I thought maybe what they were going with is, uh, you know, when the, when the one character, uh, Roxy Ballantine, I- introduces mm-hmm. this uh, adaptable metal stuff. 
I thought, oh, maybe her costume is made out of that. So that's why it's silver. But no, it just seems to be regular fabric. That never really comes up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, uh, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, uh, yeah, so my once over on all this, just to break it all down, I didn't like the music. I thought the music lacked energy, and it didn't feel like Batman Beyond. They go with, like, dreary saxophone stuff a lot. And I know that that could be private eye detective saxophone but to me it came across more like lethal weapon 80s saxophone Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. i felt bored for the first half hour um i uh there's a voice change on uh penguin robin and bane Mm -hmm. um penguin they actually got this actor i really like but it doesn't sound like the original guy no uh, no who had a really great distinct voice robin was actually voiced by the same actor who did um the kid from iron giant Oh, no kidding. Cool. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. He sounded close enough or it didn't bother me, but I did just, I did look it up. Just, I just thought maybe it was different and it was. And then they got an, um, another famous actor, Hector something or other. Elizondo. Who was in, thank you. Uh, to do uh, Bane. And I thought he was good, but he, again, just it took some getting used to. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why they weren't, maybe they weren't able to get the original cast. I don't know. I know um, Henry Silva, who voiced Bane before that, had retired by that point so okay uh, and i guess they recast penguin because they wanted someone with a bit of a of a stronger kind of darker edge to his voice and uh the guy that they that they got david ogden styers who's uh probably most famous for mash he was in mash and he also he also played martian manhunter in the pilot of the live action justice league of america tv show from the mid 90s which i don't know if you've ever seen that but it it's really bad yeah. Um, I, I, so the cast is actually impressive. You got Kevin, uh, sorry, Kevin Conroy, Kelly Ripa is in this as mm-hmm. Dr. Roxanne, Hector Elizondo, Elizondo you mentioned, mm-hmm. you got Alfred, of course, Tara Strong, of course, uh, Kimberly Brooks, who's, you know, has since gone on to do a lot of famous acting, uh, voice acting. Kira Sedgwick is Kate Kane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, they threw a lot of money at, uh, actors here, but, uh, I don't think the animation was quite as tight as some of the other movies. Yeah. Well, you know, the thing I I went into this kind of dreading watching it because based on really nothing other than my own uh, remembrance of not being interested when it came out, I didn't think it was going to be any good. Um, I think because it seemed like such an afterthought at the time and the Batwoman thing was not really super interesting. Like I didn't like the costume. I didn't like that she had a Green Goblin glider. (laughs) That's Um, right. I was so afraid that Batman was going to be inspired to grab his jetpack, but thankfully <laughs> that did not happen. And also, I remember at the time, I was very kind of like <clears throat> passively watching this for about the first 40 minutes mm-hmm. because I remember at the time when this was coming out, all the press was Kelly Ripa is in this car- Batman movie called Mystery of the Batwoman. And I was like, oh, yeah. well, I guess we know the mystery of the Batwoman. <laughs> it's Kelly Ripa. <laughs> And so I was yeah. kind, you know, and I was like, okay, yeah, it was going along. This is, yeah, I kind of feel like this is weird because I know, you know, <coughs> the audience knows who Batwoman is before Batman does, so it's kind of wasting time. Mm-hmm. And then, then all of a sudden, they reveal that it's not her, and right. I was like, oh, oh, that's interesting because they, yeah, they set up these three women to all be possibly Batwoman, and they yeah. use a fourth woman to actually be the voice of Batwoman. So it, to 
essentially mask the identity because you know with animation it's like well yeah obviously whoever's voice it is that's who Batwoman is right uh, but yeah. Kira Sedgwick only does the voice of the costume Batwoman and right. so like I actually had written in my notes isn't it weird does it, is it weird that they reveal who Batwoman is so early I didn't mm-hmm. realize that that was just the first of a number of dodges before they were going to actually sh- reveal that it's all three of them working together yeah. So that kind of got me back into it. Um, yeah. By that, that was good. Yeah, yeah. By that point, from there on, it's kind of pretty standard. Um, so I guess one of the things I was wondering is, do you think this is an effective mystery for for a story? Uh, yeah, I think the bones are good here. Um, you know, there's no way that you would guess that there were three different people acting as Batwoman. Mm-hmm. I mean, um, that's just not a go-to trope that you would expect to find in, you know, an animated kids show. Because, you know, let's face it. When you sit down to watch this, you see Batwoman. So you're looking for a brand new character that's a female, that's somewhat fit, and that's, like, animated really well. And normally when you see that character, you're like, bam, she's Batwoman. Right. But you get one, two, and then three, and you're like, huh, well, wait a minute. It gets more complicated because you think you've got it figured out, and then you don't. So I actually did like that part, and I like how... They're all mixed, you know, different races, of course, and they're all coming at it from different um, points of view. Uh, the fact that they all met in art school <laughs> <laughs> and they all happen to have a grudge against these three villains. One is the Penguin, two is Rupert Thorne, and three is Duquesne, mm-hmm. who's a brand new uh, mob boss. I don't know. And the fact that these three went to school together and they all were friends and then years later all the people that they happen to hate team up together mm-hmm. to try to ship guns to wherever that country is. And they all decide to become... Like, they just seemed all a little bit too convenient, did they, honestly. Did they all meet in art school or was it just two of them? I thought it was just... Uh, Maybe you're right, yeah. Kathy Duquesne and uh, Sonia had met in art school or art right. class or something. And I can't remember... Yeah. how uh rocky meets the rest of them but yeah it is it is one of those things where it is fairly convenient you know it's right it's it's made more convenient by there being three different villains who are just mm-hmm. happen to be working together like if if they all had yeah. like a grudge against the penguin that would make yeah. more sense and if they yeah. all had a grudge against duquesne or or whatever or, or thorn or whatever that would be a little yeah. bit more plausible than just hey yeah, we all have problems with these three separate guys who all just happen to be working together at the same time now. Yeah, oh, well and Bane's after, there. Yeah, and Bane's there. Well after, <laughs> well after we have decided to join together to become this vigilante. Right. Honestly, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. No, no, no. Go ahead. I was going to say this feels the whole movie feels like a studio obligated sequel or a yeah. studio obligated sequel that has to include Batwoman. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's it feels stale because it's past its time. I feel like they ended this animated series universe on such a high note. This was a movie that no one was asking for. And I feel that energy coming from it. Like It's like, well, I guess we're obligated to do this, so we might as well do our best. But we're going to do a short after called Chase Me that's going to be really good. Yeah, it's so strange, though, because in 2003, I think you're probably right. I mean, this is probably, is Justice League going at this point, the Justice League cartoon? Yeah, uh, I think the Unlimited one might have been in full swing yeah. or just ending. Um, Justice League Unlimited is from 2004. Okay, so, well, I think the the other okay. Justice League 
had started in 2001. So Justice League was going. So okay. and it has yet to turn into Justice League Unlimited, but there is a Justice League show out there. And oh, okay, so this was kind of a bridge then, because it's like, well, we don't want the universe to go away, so let's do another Batman movie in between Justice League romps. Yeah, <laughs> it, it still feels weird though, because like at this point, Batman's been over for like five years. Like uh, yeah. the, I think the New Adventures of Batman ends in like '99 or something like that. And you've mm-hmm. got Batman Beyond in 2000. You've got Return of yeah. the Joker in 2001. You've got Justice League going. So this universe, like you said, is kind of in the back, in the, in the rearview mirror at this point. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's not, there's not enough distance, I think, at this point for people mm-hmm. to get really excited about coming back to it the way there is now. Yeah. Um, where it's, it has now fallen into this nostalgia realm where mm-hmm. you know everyone would love to see more of that stuff because uh, there hasn't yeah. been some in, in so long. But yeah, I think this is this is a weird one that's sort of uh, <clears throat> kind of floating a little bit out of time. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. So let's talk about Batgirl and Bruce. Y- yeah. Well, okay. <laughs> I think so. I would love well, to give why these don't you guys explain. Explain what happened. Uh, Bat- Barbara-, Barbara Gordon is in this for about 30 seconds and <laughs> she calls up Bruce from college and says oh I hear you got a new bat lady there and she and she basically is like I hope I hope you're not getting rid of me because I thought we had something <clears throat> and Bruce pulls the uh, the classic crinkle some paper in front of the phone and make it sound like the phone's breaking up mm. and I would love to give these guys, everyone who works on the show, the benefit of the doubt. However, <laughs> there within this movie and the way that they've handled things after this movie, mm. just feels kind of creepy regarding Bruce's love life in general. Yeah, uh, because they play it fairly coy here. I can't tell if they are implying that Bruce and Barbara actually had a relationship. Or if Barbara is just like has a, a, a big crush on him. Um, in Batman Beyond, do they establish that they once actually did date? Uh, yeah, there was a tent. Yeah, they implied that for sure. Okay, that's I don't yeah. I don't like that. <laughs> and no, also uh, Bruce's you know quote unquote love interest for this movie is Kathy Duquesne who. I don't know how old she is supposed to be, but she reads as though she's like 19. Yeah. And yeah. Bruce... She's a Halle Berry character. Yeah, yeah. And Bruce seems like he's probably like in his 30s. And so yeah. she. either way, she seems very young. And then yeah. after this, I mean, apparently, according to Batman Beyond, they might have had a relationship, Bruce and Barbara. And then you've got the, uh, the good old... Um, killing joke years later where they actually do hook up and i just there is nothing creepier to me than Mm -hmm. batman and batgirl having any sort of romantic relationship it just it skeeves me out to no end was it the the movie the killing joke where uh the writers had batman and batwoman Batgirl have sex on the rooftop or something in the first scene yes okay and then he then batman just ghosts her (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) Um, yeah, I feel like editorial for a long time has been pushing the idea of Batman and Batgirl. 
And I feel like, well, you can't have that and have Batman, Catwoman. So make up your minds. Like, Catwoman makes a lot more sense. She's about his age. You don't have this, like, weird pedophilia-style daddy issue, whatever that mm-hmm. is with him and Batgirl. Like, I just, why, why are you doing that? Plus, it's obvious that she and Nightwing are the ones that are supposed to be together. Like, right. I don't understand why they pushed Batman and Batgirl so much. Especially when her name is Batgirl. It makes it that yeah. much creepier. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And it just, it feels, it feels, putting those two together feels very much like a teacher and student getting together and you know i know that happens in the real world and it just it never sits right yeah. with me i i don't care how okay yeah. it is it always skews me out a bit <laughs> i didn't know part of the perks of uh being a college professor was uh, not only do you get to wear leathery elbow pads mm-hmm. on your jacket but you get to bang your students and it's kind of understood i had a friend who i have a friend who was a ta for a while and one of the things that they told him when he started was do your best not to sleep with the students in your class <laughs> Do your best, but it's not a hard no. Yeah. Um, yeah, like in Bat, you know, I have I have trouble seeing Batman, like you were saying, him kissing anybody feels weird. <laughs> so it feels even more weird for him to kiss, to, to implying or it, it being very explicit about him kissing yep. and hooking up with Barbara. It's just, it just feels very, feels wrong on a lot of different levels. Yep. Yep, for sure. Um, and it didn't need that scene at all. Didn't this movie wasn't about? Um, I don't know. Was it about Bruce's struggle to find love in any way? No, no. Okay, uh, good. I thought I maybe missed no. something. No, I mean, yeah, I, it's out of the blue. I, I don't. I actually don't mind the scene. Um, I, I just wish they they were a little bit clearer that this was straight up just Barbara having a crush because the scene itself mm-hmm. doesn't really bother me because if I was if I I understand. Batgirl seeing the news that there's another bat female and her being a little bit put out by it. Yes. But um yeah. I don't like the implication that maybe there's something else going on there. <laughs> yeah. I felt that Bruce in the relationship with Duquesne was really melodramatic and really forced and not natural at all. Yeah. And uh Bruce seems single focused on stopping crime. Uh his personal life is like a distant third or fourth on his agenda. So the fact that he's willing to date a mob boss's daughter, I just, there's no way he would do that. I don't care if he thinks he's attractive or whatever. I, I believe it for the, the, um, the first part of the movie yeah. that he's doing yeah. it. Cause he's trying to figure out what's going on, but, that's uh, different. but yeah. yeah, at the end, if he's like, Hey, after everything that's just happened, maybe we should date. I don't know. It's, yeah, it feels brought your car back. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, she did have a pretty sweet uh, Rolls Royce looking, the uh, Excalibur looking vehicle. Yeah, that, do, the I car was like that. Good. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad he. I'm glad he brought it back. I did like that Alfred also was chasing after her in his classic limo, and she spotted him. And I thought, I wonder if Alfred has like stunt driving experience, or if he ever has to be an action hero in order to save Bruce. You know? Oh, maybe. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, I'm sure. I was expecting him to do something like. Uh, you know when they were ch- when they were driving off away from uh, Duquesne's guys who were chasing them, and Alfred was kind of tailing them. I thought he was going to do the thing where he was going to position his car in between them or something to buy to, mm. so they could you know create distance or whatever. But yeah, instead yeah. He, instead they just cut to him going like, "Well, I guess you're on your own. <laughs> I'm <laughs> going <luck>. home." <laughs> I mean, he's on his own every night. I'm pretty sure you didn't need to chase to chase after him in the first place. Yeah, you know. Yeah, that's true. 
Um, I imagine if Alfred was a good driver, he would have been trained in like driving classic cars with leather gloves and leather helmets and goggles. You know, it has to be an Alfred style of driving. It can't just be like Tokyo Drift. Yeah, I mean, do you think do you think in England like the classical butler has a has a training in <laughs> in like rally car driving? I mean, if your take on Alfred is he's ex-Special Forces, then I can go with that. But if he's just a kind old butler, uh, yeah, it depends on what kind of Alfred you like, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, Batwoman's... Ba- so, oh, go ahead. So, I was going to ask you, uh, Duquesne, the girl Duquesne, mm-hmm. so she had a grudge against her dad who somehow let her mom die. Yes. And I understand having a grudge, but what exactly was her plan by coming becoming batwoman and assaulting these people with some seemingly deadly force why didn't she just turn him in like if you really were mad at your father and wanted to payback or some kind of closure i don't understand why she would go through all this trouble to become batwoman and in the end of the day what was her plan exactly i'm not sure i'm not sure her anger at her father was the reason she was going through this but she didn't seem that angry with him for the most part you know yeah, and they didn't really position Duquesne as someone who can't be gotten to by the cops. Yeah. You know, he's he's kind of, I think, if if only because he we've never seen him before, he kind of is in third place behind the Penguin Rupert Thorne. Right. Pen- Penguin Rupert Thorne. So, like, right. and he's not really, he hasn't really done anything or they haven't really given us any reason why he's above the law in a way that would require bat mm-hmm. a batwoman to, to to deal with it right um i guess he's involved he is involved with the other two and they are involved with like you know selling f- photon, yeah. photon cannons or something to to, yeah. to casnia <laughs> you know it's funny too uh penguins uh the driver who was sneaking guns around had a keychain shaped like a penguin face yeah <laughs> and there's a building in town shaped like a penguin face and surprise surprise underneath is a secret weapons factory mm-hmm. with penguin in it and um, Bullock has these keys. He shows them to Batman, and of course, Batman figures it out. So, like Bullock, you had a keychain shaped like a penguin. You couldn't put the clues together. Like there wasn't really that much of a mystery in that aspect. Yeah, I I did also really like the the line where uh, someone brings up the name of the factory, and they're like, "What uh-huh. what what do they make there?" And I, Batman or whoever <laughs> says, "Oh, you know, baubles, this and that, uh, weapons of mass destruction." <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. <laughs> Uh, did you catch the Star Trek ref- reference? I don't think so. Yeah, uh, I I think Bullock makes it. He says something about Star Trek. Uh, I thought of you. This must have been when you were half paying attention probably, at the beginning. Probably, yeah. Yeah, there was a Star It's just crazy when worlds collide, right? Yeah. No, it's uh, the, one of the things <laughs> that I've learned doing this is there's a lot more crossover between everything than you think there is. Yeah. Because like every, every time, I feel like every time we do a movie uh on Rotten Heart Picture Show there's there's some connection to to Star Trek or more more often yeah. than not I feel like there's someone oh they were on Star Trek oh that person was there and they're, you know oh the yeah. voice in Batman who was on Star Trek and well the the voice of penguin here he was in an episode of Star Trek with um uh Luxana Troy oh, that's right. he was the one who had to commit suicide yeah. uh, it was part of this culture or whatever good episode uh, yeah they're really good episode um so Batman is not willing to kill, but Batwoman is willing to kill. The Wikipedia entry I read uh, when I wasn't following the plot <laughs> told said that she's willing to take it a step further, which makes me think, okay, so she's willing to kill. But 
the cop was inspired to become a cop because of Batman. Mm-hmm. And she was inspired to make the suit a Batman-like suit. But she, So she's following all the Batman rules, except she's willing to kill. So then my question to Batman is, um, are you okay with someone taking your symbol and murdering people? Especially if it's a cop? I'm going mean, to say probably are you there to no. <laughs> stop? Yeah, like why aren't you arresting these women? Why aren't they in jail? I don't get why he would let I, that slide. I was wondering that at, well... Technic, if you want to get technical about, it, she doesn't actually kill anybody. She's she's definitely mm-hmm. um, a little bit more reckless and willing to. Uh, yeah. But there's no on-screen murder. I guess mm-hmm. that's a plus, and that counts for something in cartoons. But at the yeah, end, thank God nobody died. Yeah, no, there was multiple chances when multiple people should have died. <laughs> she was th- those three ladies were were pretty lax with where they were putting those bombs. Mm-hmm. Um, and. Uh, Oh, I, I did notice the bomb. Bane refers to the bomb as a carbonite bomb. Yeah. And I was like, is everybody going to get frozen like Han Solo if this blows up? <laughs> but uh, Tell you, man, a lot of crossover yeah, here. Yeah, everybody, all, everyone who makes everything <laughs> is a nerd somehow. Um, <clears throat> but uh, yeah, I, I was a little bit surprised at the end where after all that goes down and mm-hmm. um, they show Sonya packing up her box and I was like, she just got fired. She didn't get arrested. And, yeah. and she actually, she even says like working with vigilantes is one thing for Gordon, but he can't be em- employing them. And I was like, what is, and then, and then she says that the <laughs> DA let it slide or whatever. And I was like, yeah, what kind of DA is this? I'll tell you, it yeah. really makes me understand why Batman <laughs> is needed in Gotham city. If that's how yeah. these things are being handled. Uh, seriously, he must just be like, you know, I wouldn't fucking have to do this if you all would just do your jobs a little better. He just looks around Gotham and he just sees laziness, yeah. you know? <laughs> Am I the only one showing up ready to work? Yeah, that's, Jesus. that's why he's out there. Why do you think? Uh, we've gone over this. I, I feel like we've gone over this before where it's like, every, yeah. got, uh, or at least I remember um, it occurred to me when I was watching the Batman 66 show recently that every mm-hmm. single episode is Gordon and the entire gotham police force just going like well yeah i don't know i guess there's not really anything we should be able to do about this if only there was someone who could handle this i guess let's call batman and then go to lunch yeah i feel like the reason that bruce is batman has a different bunch of different arcs and i feel like everyone listening to this has their own reason why they think bruce does what he does Mm -hmm. i think when bruce starts out being batman i think Yes, he is troubled about his parents. He wants to end crime. I think he's driven by that. But after a while, I think he's over that. Mm-hmm. I think he's just maybe having fun or it's just a habit. Or maybe he's so fucking frustrated that the police department won't do their job and he's tired of uh, all this stuff lowering real estate value. Or maybe he does it for, you know, Robin and Batgirl. Like, there's a bunch of different reasons you could write a story for why Batman actually does this. I don't think it's... the if Batman's going to be Batman for 30 years you know, however old Bruce is when he starts to when he quits, he has to be motivated in different periods in different ways, you know? Oh, totally, yeah. I, I think it's interesting to see, like, well, what is your Batman motivated by in this story? Because I think you could have a lot of fun with that, you know? Oh, absolutely. I think there's definitely a motivation uh, at some point based on, um, like, I remember I in my in my comics career, I have spent most of it doing all of the elements by myself, whether it's, you know... Uh, yeah. laying out books and, and working with publishers and, and printers and stuff like that. And then yeah. the first time that I worked with somebody else to do something and I was like, okay, I'll let them handle this stuff, they mm-hmm. completely fucked it up. And I was like, all right, so 
I guess I'm going to need to just do this myself. And I feel like that's kind of yeah. Batman's point of view from some at some points where he's like, you know what? I want to let the cops do this, but clearly they can't get the job done. So I have to keep doing this because the, yeah. nobody else can do it. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Now, I, I, I empathize with Batman a lot. When it comes with to uh, me dealing with DC Comics, <laughs> I'm just so frustrated by how many people in editorial don't know how plot structure is supposed to work, mm-hmm. how many don't have a degree in English, a degree in business. You know, a lot of them are on Twitter saying, I don't feel like working today, and they're saying bad things that you should not say uh, if you're an employee, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like basic stuff that the company lets slide. Um, you know, marketing people, when it's time to market my next book, they can't get me any big outlets like I would like to do USA Today or something big. But they're like, well, what about CBR or any of these other tiny, pathetic comic book sites that are out there? Sorry, this is turning into a rant. Um, <laughs> and I'm like, I could get those outlets myself. Like, I could call CBR and get my own press. Like, that, that's right. not a get at all. Like, what the hell? I'm like, I, and this is one of the best-selling books you're going to have for this year. You, people clearly don't have a plan. You're telling me the best get we can get is like a... TMZ style press release like get the fuck out of here right why don't you start thinking out of the box for a while and what drives me nuts is these people are so underpaid that anybody who's really good at marketing is probably smart enough to be working for a real publisher that has more money to spend <laughs> right right it's just and I get I feel like the dick who's always you know writing emails or on the phone and I'm trying not to yell at people I'm trying not to get frustrated but it's like I'm pouring my heart into this book and I know this book is going to make you the company money and I feel like I'm just struggling to walk uphill here just to get the basics done you know and it goes to what you said like i just gotta fucking do it myself you know right, right. even when it came to writing you know I, I got enough scripts where i'm like i'm not loving these scripts i think i'm just gonna fucking do it myself i don't want to be a writer but i can at least do this so this is now my new job yeah you know yeah and if i get paid eventually for it then awesome but yeah it's just sorry no no <laughs> it's I, I been was a rough, it's been a rough month <laughs> i was just gonna echo that but i mean that's sort of been the <clears throat> trajectory tra- trajectory of my own career is kind of yeah Look, trying to do things the way the, the quote unquote way they're supposed to be done, and then yeah. real, uh, realizing that it's not going to get done that way, so I have to do it for myself. Whether it was, right. you know, when I was starting out, it was trying to get jobs, not getting jobs, and then to a certain point, being like, all right, well, I gotta, I gotta do it myself. Yeah. Then I gotta make my own book if if no one's gonna hire me to do it. Yeah. Um, no, I, I I hate to be sorry. Keep going. No, no, it's it's just the same thing. Where it's you know when it came to uh doing conventions and stuff it was like all right well you know no one no one is going to right get no one's going to ask me to do this so i got to start doing this myself obviously not not that i was waiting for people to ask me to do conventions or anything but you know it's it's the same yeah. kind of thing where it's like all right i just have to start putting my my own foot forward here instead of uh, right. <clears throat> there's there's a certain way that you think these things are supposed to go based on what you've been told about mm-hmm. the industry and stuff and it's like well if it doesn't yeah. work out that way there's there's you really have two options which is you either stop or you figure out your own way to to, to make it work yeah yeah no there, there really was like a i think we all have a rude awakening and maybe people listening to this maybe they know what it's like behind the curtain if you've been listening to any number of time to you and me rant mostly me then you know <laughs> that the industry is not always run very well but you know, to the average Joe, Joe Sixpack who wanders into a shop and buys a Spider-Man comic, he probably picks it up and is like, oh, well, art's pretty, color's nice, seems designed and good, and I'm entertained, and, ooh, you know, four bucks, okay, I'll buy it. And, uh, you know, you see the movies, you see the games, you see the Spider-Man underwear, so you're like, this must be well-run. Mm-hmm. There must be 
I mean, clearly this is a billion dollar franchise. Like, why wouldn't comics be as run as the movies? Like, clearly this is all connected. Like, you would assume that because it all looks pretty professional and put together. But when you see behind the curtain, it's like, at least, you know, the Spider-Man movies, yes, I would imagine it is more professional. But when it comes to the comics department, it is just a shit show. It's like a flea market. Um, it's like, you know, if you walk through this door and try to get into the comics business, just assume whenever you walk into the room, 80% of the people there are probably not good at their jobs. And get ready to roll up your sleeves and be prepared to do it yourself, you know? Yeah. I mean, I think when people sign on to Marvel DC, they're like, great, you know, Marvel has my back. All I have to do is draw an awesome Spider-Man, and um, they're going to pay me. They're going to give me my royalties. I don't have to check. I don't have to chase after them. Of course they have marketing and branding, and, Mm -hmm. you know, they'll give me money if there's an action figure based off my stuff. They just assume that the company has their back, and it's like, no, (laughs) they don't. I mean, even if they do market, they don't market well. They're not uh, saving themselves. They're not necessarily doing you any favors. Like, you know, I'm at the top of DC, basically, and I still have to push to get things done. It's just insane. Yeah. Sorry. (laughs) No, no, that's fine. That's fine. Yeah, it's it's interesting because I, I, um, as someone who is more or less on the outside watching that stuff, mainly mainly (laughs) through you, um, it does seem... (laughs) that there is not as much control of the marketplace as you would expect there to be. Yeah. Like it I mean comics have always been very reactionary like you know going back to the creation of comics in the in the 30s and and even before yeah. that whatever right. whatever was selling that's what they just that's that's all they made. So when when romance comics started they just started doing romance comics. If DC mm-hmm. DC started doing superheroes, so Marvel shit, we got to do superheroes. Everybody started doing superheroes. But that's obviously before they turned into this uh, multi-billion dollar IP farm that they've become, Mm -hmm. which is why it always surprises me to see how much um, they are still kind of not, they are still kind of reactionary in in the things that they are pushing and uh, the things that they are not pushing and stuff. Like, I think there's, I don't know, It, I guess it's tough because the it seems like the modern comic book industry is the, the profit margins are thin enough where they can't really afford to take a lot of chances, which mm-hmm. is why they are still, which is why... 90% of DC's output is Batman, Wonder Woman, and Superman, which, you know, if it sells, fine, yeah. sure. But it does, mm-hmm. it is disappointing that they, they can't introduce something new to the market and uh, and really get behind it and use and have that be enough to, uh, yeah. uh, to get people on board. And, I mean, it's tough, too, because, like, <laughs> it's one of those things where um, everybody who complains that there's too much Batman are the same mm-hmm. people who are going to dunk on something new as soon as it comes out and they haven't read it and haven't given it a chance, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's, it's a two way street. It's, 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 it's an interesting industry. Let's put it that way. Yeah. Yeah. I, I often play the game in my head. If, if I was, you know, a dictator for a day in comics, what would I do to fix it? Um, I'm curious what your answer is too. Uh, mine is if I ran Marvel, for example, I'm not going to talk about my own publisher any more than I already did. <laughs> I would say Marvel Universe, Universal, whatever, the Marvel Studios, the Hollywood money, we need $20 million. Just give us a big fat check and we're going to invest in Marvel Comics 
and don't expect to really see anything fixed fixed for at least a few years. Mm-hmm. We just need startup money. Think of us as a sort of a new company. So we're going to need a lot of leeway here. And I would take that and I would say to marketing, first of all, everyone is getting a race. We're hiring more uh, editors. So not every editor is overloaded. Like we're going to get a decent office with better working conditions. Uh, we want everyone working here to be happy and healthy and not stressed out. That's one thing. And then I would say to marketing, you all are going to get bonuses if you perform really well. I don't want the normal comic book thinking when it comes to marketing. I'm going to give you bonuses for thinking outside of the box. I want new ideas. I want new blood. And if you're not able to produce, then you're going to have to move on. I know, and I would also start you know, ongoing series that might not sell really well at first, but you just build them slowly and carefully. And you don't have a team that's afraid they're going to get fired or laid off every six months. You know, the turnover is so uh, high and so frequent at these companies that there really is no uh, motivation to build a story slowly and um, watch, you know, see it yield fruit months or years later. Right. You know, I mean, even Preacher was a slow burn and that book sold well, but it really didn't get going until like, I don't know, issue 40. (laughs) We don't even stick. We don't have patience for that anymore. Yeah. Uh, it's like, oh, if it's not good by issue four, we're done. There's no such thing as like, I believe in this project. The team is new, but they're finding their feet. In a, six months, the book's going to be good. We're slowly building, slowly building. That kind of thinking just doesn't exist anymore because people answer to their quarterly numbers. And if they're not producing, then they feel like they're going to get let go or whatever. It's just everything. All the, the dials set, the way Marvel set up right now, I think is not working out. And I think that it's just like, they're just trying to maintain right now. They're not in a growth model. They're in a maintain or don't sink model, basically. They're just grabbing on at the sides of the canoe, hoping that they're going to ride this out in some way. But no one wants to make any big decisions. And they really can't because that money from Marvel Studios isn't coming in. Right. Like Very little of that trickles down, which is a, a big shame. you know. And then to your point about you know artists getting credit or getting paid for their ideas for Hollywood, whatever, like you know compensating your talent at the bottom end for all the stuff that's making money at the top end. That seems like a no brainer, but they don't do that. They, they run everything on a shoestring. Yeah. Yeah. I think that the, the, the one thing standing in the way of that, of everything you just described is going, we need $20 million and then Disney going, yeah, sure. Here's your check. Which, yeah. that, <laughs> which I, I don't know if you could really count on that, but, <clears throat> but I mean, there's so many CEOs making seven figure salaries. Oh, there's sure. a couple people on Marvel that make seven figures. Like I'm, I'm a capitalist. Don't get me wrong. If you, you know, but at some point we need to shake the tree and the money that's stuck at the top has to get back down at the bottom. Uh, right. And I don't know how to square that in my head sometimes, but I know that if I was making seven figures and my company was struggling, I would feel a little guilty, you know? Right, right. Yeah. Whether or not I earn that salary, I'd still feel guilty. Yeah, yeah. I think you've just uh, become a socialist. <laughs> no. Welcome. Welcome to the club. Um, yeah, I, uh. I mean, yeah, it's... Uh, I think the other thing, too, is that all of that sounds great, mm-hmm. but <clears throat> you need the reader. You, you need the readers to, to, ex- to go along with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't know if... The uh, how do I say this? Um, you need the readers to 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 be into what you're doing, right? Mm-hmm. And right. regardless of how good it might be, that's not a guarantee. You know what I mean? I guess it's because that that's kind of what I was saying before, where it's like, 
for as for as many people who uh, who are railing against the stuff Marvel and DC putting out the same stuff, there's mm-hmm. plenty of books that they do that are not the same thing over and over again. And those people who are complaining, a lot of those people who complain about it just being the same stuff aren't buying those new books. And so you end up having to cancel those books before they really get go anywhere. So, Well, I, we know that readers definitely want cheaper prices. Sure, sure. We know that five bucks is too high. We know they want art teams, creative teams, to not change. Mm-hmm. So if you sell, a, if you promote a book with, you know, Olivier Coipel written by Frank Miller or whatever... That's, Please that's make where your twenty. That. That's where your twenty millions going. That's most yeah, of your money. Exactly. Uh, you know, keep it this consistent art team for at least twelve issues. Sure. The, the way it's switching up. I mean, people are on for two issues, and then they get rid of the artist and they hire someone cheaper to take over. And like, that's obviously not working. Like, I don't need to poll readers to have at least a few ideas and what they want. Mm-hmm. But yeah, to your point, like, uh, yeah, I, I I agree. I think marketing books that are not more of the same, and investing in those books. Um, is something to do and um, you need to grow readers and you need to grow readers slowly. Unfortunately, you're not going to see like a, you know, you, I wouldn't plan on a boom right at the beginning when you start implementing my fascist plan, you know? <laughs> yeah. I, but, yeah. You know, I think, I, I think, I think marketing is a big, big part of it because, you know, like I was saying, Marvel does a lot of varied stuff as far as the creative yeah. teams and all that kind of stuff. But right. I don't know if it, it if it makes as big a splash as it could, right. because you know the 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 word isn't out there in a sense that's larger than just the the, the right. comic book crowd. But I mean, well, all of this. Pap- I have to say that I'm just speaking out my ass for all this stuff because I have no idea how any of that stuff works. But no, no, I mean, please, I'll, I'll take any pushback if I'm, you know, if it's something I'm saying is not lining up. Um, but I'd say that. Right now, the way that it's structured, do, do Marvel and DC, these publishers, actually make money? In and of themselves, do they make money? Yeah, not a lot, but they're so small. Marvel is so tiny compared to what... Marvel uh, Comics, anyway, is so tiny compared to what Disney owns. Right. It is a wart on the ass of Disney. Disney looks at Marvel and they like, like, I don't know, just make comics. We don't care. As long as we can sell action figures in movies and video games that's your job if you said to disney hey we're going to uh get rid of marvel comics we're just going to print out superman flyers and mail them to people for free with little comics of spider-man would that be okay they'd be like all right fine like i guess we're already like i guess (laughs) i mean what we have now is a glorified flyer system Mm -hmm. where we're mailing out these products to people just to keep video games going if it makes money, if it doesn't, I don't think Disney really gives a shit. I mean, in general, you would like it to make money. So what they've done is take this like flyer system, put it into a shop, and charge people for it. But it's not sustainable the way they're running it. I mean, if the point of a Spider-Man comic is to sell a billion-dollar movie, then spending you know ten million dollars to mail out free Spider-Man comics that generally gets you the same outcome, doesn't it? Yeah. You know, <laughs> do you really need to charge for this shit? Um, put it in the mail, send it to people for free, like a coupon book or whatever. I mean, that's where this is headed. You got to attach it in. You got to throw it in with all those uh, ring dings like they did back in the 90s. That's those shit. That shit was great. I had a ton of those uh, uh, little (laughs) mini comics because I ate a ton of ring dings. 
I found two of those literally two days ago. I found a Spider-Man and a Hulk one, uh, and I was so excited because I thought maybe they'd be worth something, and they're not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember I had a Daredevil comic. Uh, this was from the mid-'90s. I believe it was Daredevil, yeah. when Daredevil was not... It's it's actually really funny in retrospect because it's almost like, you know, an actor who has fallen off the A list and is now doing uh, <clears throat> PS yeah. PSAs and commercials or something because it's the only work they right. can get. But it was a Daredevil comic that was a uh, a fire prevention PSA comic. So he was fighting. Oh yeah, he was fighting. I think it was like like vapor gas or something like that. <laughs> they must. I assume they must have picked daredevil because he because of the heightened sense of smell or something and he's like well i can smell right. that there, there's a gas leak or something like that but it was like right. this anthropomorphic cloud of of flammable gas that he had to fight off and be like if if he gets lit up on fire you ha- these are the ways you put fire out and all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. so he was getting <laughs> it was nice to see him getting work in the 90s yeah psa comics are pretty cool i saw i remember a spider-man gun one um, about school shootings or whatever. Mm-hmm. Clearly, that did its job. Oh yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. I, I hate to be so sour on comics. Like, I, I do love it, but I'm just frustrated. I love it so much, and I want it to want more for itself. Oh sure, um, sure. And uh, I mean, in a way, what did you and I expect? Because comics as a medium is sort of like vinyl records, where it's old timey and charming, but it's not. If we were going to redo everything now, we would just make it all digital. No one would be buying magazines and collecting them. We would have mm. a culture that was training people to make money by downloading them. But we're, it's kind of passe. It's kind of a dead medium in some ways. And I'm not saying it is dead because I love it and I want it to, to bloom and grow forth. But if you said, through that door is the comics industry, um, they're all printed out on pieces of paper that really don't need to be printed out anymore. Um, they're distributed through this system called Diamond that's really a monopoly and it's terrible. Most of them get damaged on shipping. They're also really expensive. And everyone working on them is uh, really underpaid, really unhappy, and there's a huge uh, washout rate for artists. Like Most people are just like depressed and angry. And We gave them Twitter, which we thought that would help, and that's only made it worse because social media is a <laughs> disease given to us by aliens who want to take over the planet. And, uh, you know, the business people there and for their own interests, a lot of them aren't even that good at business and there's not a lot of money to go around. And they said, but if you go through that door, have a good time. I mean, if you and I walk through there, like, what did we expect? You, that everyone would be firing on all cylinders? But, no. But if you, if you walk through that door, you can spend <laughs> multiple hours in a convention hall and then get a couple <laughs> drinks with your friends afterwards and who are, are, yeah. are all doing the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean it's 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 funny. It, it is. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> I'm probably repeating myself too. This is sort of like the best of of all my rants on this channel. Yeah. Anyway, well, it's it, you know it's funny that reminds me. This is uh, we don't need to go off on this tangent, but it, what you're saying about uh, starting starting from digital reminded me of I think is it Brad Pitt that had a bunch mm-hmm. of money into um, vehicle concepts where he like basically he said all right let's pretend that combustion engines don't exist and we're starting mm-hmm. starting we're building a car based on modern technology having right. never built a combustion engine before so what do we do instead which is a really interesting right. interesting way to approach it um yeah. that's i think the difference there is if you're actively trying to get rid of the other thing whereas yeah. the comics industry seems to really want to hang on to 
um, the old way, which, you know, I enjoy. Mm-hmm. But I can yeah. understand why it would make more sense to go fully digital. But, you know, we've been, yeah. I mean, we've been having the will comics go fully digital conversation for 20 years at this point. It still hasn't happened. So. Yeah. It doesn't, it's a silly argument in a way because it's not going to shift completely. Because people right. are, the culture is, we like going into shops, buying our pieces of paper, books, whatever, chatting with other nerds, going to shows. Um, collecting, slabbing, selling, trading, all that stuff yeah. is part of the culture. And I, I wouldn't want to live in an industry that didn't have that stuff because I think it's really, it's the human-to-human interaction is important. The, the, the social, cultural aspect of it is super important. If we switch to digital, we would need to um, add on some more stuff to fill those holes in. Like it would, if it's just digital and no, we didn't have conventions anymore and it, we just didn't have pieces of art or comic book shops for us to to gather in, we would need to replace that warmth with something else, right, you know? Right, Like, I don't want to live in a just digital uh, industry either. I'm just saying, numbers-wise, it makes a whole lot of sense, but that's not the total solution. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. I mean, when it comes to digital, I'm just more annoyed that we haven't, in the West anyway, figured out a system to to make it better and easier to buy comics for people who can't get to shops. So that when they can get to shops, then they will buy the comics and paper and join the culture. Mm-hmm. Like it's sort of a, uh, not a loss leader, but it's sort of more advertising to people that can't get them anymore. Right, right. But, you know, the digital readers are not there yet. You know, Japan and Korea are kicking our ass as far as like ways to get manga to, into people's hands. And we're just sort of like, eh, whatever. And what's frustrating is, you know, kids grow up with, you know, a Spider-Man nightlight, Spider-Man pajamas, and they get older. And it's a Spider-Man race car set, and it's a Spider-Man action figure, and a Spider-Man whatever. And finally, they're old enough to read comics. And they're like, um, I'm going to read uh, manga. Right. <laughs> and they skip over us, and they get into manga, and pretty soon they have their own kids, and they're buying their own kids' Spider-Man. Like, what the hell is wrong with us, you know? <laughs> like, we, we made it uncool. Anime, sorry, manga is so accessible and easy to find and everything is numbered and you know where the story starts and begins and the access is so easy mm-hmm. um, versus comics. It's like, I want to read a Spider-Man arc. It's like, well, where do I begin? And it's just like a big fat question mark and a, a shittily organized, uh, you know, table in Barnes & Noble where it's just a clusterfuck of Spider-Man books that may or may not have anything to do with each other. Right, you know, it's right. like a mystery. Even if you're in comics, it's hard. Like, you were trying to read, um, what was that book? Uh, Captain America when he became a Nazi or whatever? Oh, yeah, yeah. And even the comic book shop guy had a hard time telling you where to go to read that whole arc, right? Yeah, I, in, uh, yeah the, one I, <laughs> the one I always point out to you is, is Captain Marvel, there at the, my local store, they actually had a sign up that had a yeah. instructions in as to what order to read the books in, which yeah. I feel like if if that's what stores are doing, it's probably not the right way to do it. But yeah, yeah, but no one wants to change it, man, because that's the way things have been done. Yeah. Spe- yeah. Speaking of the, the manga thing, <laughs> I I ran into that firsthand over the holidays. Um, I was hanging out uh, at a New Year's Eve party with my with a, a friend of mine. And his cousin yeah. was there. Uh, she's a younger girl. She's, I think she's in uh, a sophomore, junior in college or something. And comics came up, and he, and he, my buddy was like, oh, Clay, is he draws comics. And he, he had a copy of Bloody Hell on hand. He's like, here, check this out. And she looked at it, and she started flipping through it. And then she went, ah, I'm sorry. I, I'm, I only read ma- manga, so I forgot it reads left to right, not right to left. And I was like, yeah. <laughs> yep. 
Yeah, manga makes customers reverse the way that they've been reading their entire lives. And they don't give you color. And manga is still kicking our ass. Right. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I, manga I recently, creeps in he's like, I recently started reading manga just because I wanted to get it. I, I never, I had never done it and I wanted to get a feel for what the, uh, <clears throat> yeah. what the style was like. And um, what, one of my theories is that it's just a lot quicker to read because I read 70 pages of All You Need Is Kill, which is the, the manga that uh, Edge of Tomorrow is based on. I read mm. 70 pages in about maybe 15 minutes. It was a yeah. super, super fast read. And I think, I mean, part of that might be down to translation or whatever. I don't know. But it was it, yeah. it went by really quickly. Yeah. No, you're right. I, I tried to read um, My Hero Academia. And uh, I, I couldn't tell where the word balloons were, who was speaking. And uh, the art has shrunken down a lot. So I don't think. Oh, that, sure. But, I mean, it's 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 selling better than my books. Yeah. So yeah. What, what am I missing here? You know, and I, I didn't love it. But maybe I just need to practice more reading manga. But I've read, you know, Akira and uh, some other stuff from the '80s that I really liked. So it wasn't that impenetrable. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The next, the next book I'm going to be working on with uh, Ricardo, uh, the wrestling book that we're doing called Hardstyle Juice, is we're yeah. actually going to be doing a a little bit smaller than a little bit more manga size. So it's going to be wider, but a little bit shorter than a normal comic, I think. Yeah. Um, it's called a uh, Tonkoban. Style, oh, is that what it's called? Size. Yeah, oh, I think so. Learning yep. a new thing every day. Yeah, um, and I think it, I think it'll be cool because there's going to be a lot of like fight scenes and stuff, and so it'll be a wider like a wider uh, frame ratio. Yeah, so you get a little bit more widescreen action and stuff like that. So I'm I'm really interested yeah. to see uh, see what <laughs> Ricardo does with it. You know, I just thought of what my opener should have been because I just watched the uh, wrestling documentary about uh, Andre the Giant. Oh, sure. And I got to the part where uh, Hulk Hogan is being interviewed. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, you know, he's funny. He seems smart. He doesn't seem racist. <laughs> <laughs> that should have been my opening. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yep. Now, I don't remember exactly what he said, mm-hmm. <laughs> of course. Um, but I was surprised by how funny and sh- Sharp, he seemed. I well, don't know. I, mean, the I guy's don't know a, what I expected. The guy's been a superstar for thirty-five years for a reason, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. To, to be that big <laughs> of a star, especially a wrestling star, you have to have. I mean, arguably, if you want to, if you talk to wrestling people, all he really yeah. had was charisma. He wasn't really much of a wrestler, but oh, oh that's that's a deep. Uh, yeah, I didn't get that deep into uh, the whole. He's also yet. full of shit. Like I'm pretty sure ninety percent of the stories he tells in that documentary are fake. <laughs> Like yeah, that story he tells about how, uh, <laughs> like Andre Hogan wrote out the entire match, and then Andre yeah. called the body slam on the flyer. I'm pretty sure all that is fake. But so that was my question: is um, so for people who don't know anything about wrestling, including myself, mm-hmm. uh, it's supposed to be the final fight, the first fight, but it wasn't the first fight between Andre the Giant and Hulk Hogan, mm-hmm. and um, Hulk was wondering what the hell they were going to do. Mm-hmm. And the deadline is coming up. They're going to have to fight soon. They're running out of time. So at the ninth or the 11th hour, he writes on yellow legal pad three pages of how the fight should go, and he gives it to somebody, maybe Vince McMahon. Uh, and he isn't even sure as he steps out onto the ring in front of the cameras if Andre has read it. He doesn't know what the hell they're about to do. Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, Andre is not in the best of health. He can His limited movement... It's a problem. He has to keep one hand on the uh, on the rope the whole time, and eventually it all went exactly the way Hulk 
um, wrote, mm-hmm. except for the end where Andre, as he fell, was like shouting directions at the Hulkster mm-hmm. on to do a, a, a drop kick or whatever it was. Is that how wrestling works, Clay? Um, like, can you shout out last minute things oh, or like yeah. whisper to your opponent oh, all the time? Okay, that's like okay. That, that's one of the things that's so interesting about it to me is that even though it is scripted, there is a lot yeah. of improv built into it. <clears throat> right, um, something like that. I'm pretty sure that that story is uh, not entirely true. What yeah. what I will the credit that I will give Hogan there is he does a really great job of putting Andre over. Like Andre comes out mm-hmm. of that story looking like a million dollars, which is what right. of him to do. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like uh, you know, it depends wrestler to wrestler. Like Randy Savage, I know was uh, um, famous for wanting every little every step. Um, and every move planned out beforehand, like he was very meticulous about that stuff. But there mm-hmm. are other people, and I mean, a lot of d- just day to day wrestling is like, all right, you and you go out there. You got five minutes, go do it, and then you just go out and you mm-hmm. just do the whole thing on the fly. What if one wrestler says, "I don't want to be the heel. I don't want to lose. I'm just going to win." Uh-huh. <laughs> he refuses to go down. What happens? Uh, well, uh, funny you should mention that. <laughs> Um, there is a very famous match between Bret Hart and Shawn Michaels, which is referred to as the Montreal screw job. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will summarize this as quickly as possible. Uh, Bret Hart, <laughs> Bret Hart was the WWE champion and he was going to leave for WCW <clears throat> and he did not want to lose the belt on the way out the door <clears throat> because he was going to be fighting in Canada. He's from Canada. He didn't want to lose in Canada. Mm-hmm. And uh, this is a huge no-no. You are absolutely under no circumstances are you supposed to leave to go work to uh, for a different country company without dropping the belt because it makes the company look like a bunch of chumps and you know you look like you're mm-hmm. not a team player. Right. So up until the day of the match, Bret Hart still w- did not want to. He did not want to lose. His idea was okay. We have Monday Night Raw the next night. I won't lose tonight. I'll I'll. I will uh, um, vacate the title on Monday Night Raw the next night. And so up until the, basically the match started, they weren't totally sure how it was going to go. And mm-hmm. Bret Hart was under the impression that that's what they were going to do is it was going to be a draw or something and then he was just going to vacate the belt the next night. Um, what he didn't know <clears throat> is that Vince McMahon, the referee, and Shawn Michaels had all conspired with each other that they were going to screw Bret Hart. And so what ended up happening in the match was uh, at a certain point, Shawn Michaels puts Bret Hart's own finishing move on him, which is a submission move, which, you know, you get a tap. If you tap mm-hmm. out, it's the end of the match. And Shawn Michaels puts that move on Bret Hart. The ref basically like looks at them for a second and then calls for the bell and says that Bret Hart tapped out. Which in the so they gave the belt to Shawn Michaels. Bret Hart stands up, realizing what just happened, went over to the ropes, spits in, in uh, Vince McMahon's face, and so apparently mm-hmm. the only people who knew that were go- that this was going to happen, from what I remember, is uh, the ref, Vince McMahon, and Shawn Michaels. And so basically, mm-hmm. that was that was what happened. Is he refused to to lose, and so they made him lose. So there's they. If you're if you're if you're not going to quote unquote do business, they have plenty of fail safes to make sure that you do. 
See, that to me sounds like the real appeal of wrestling. It's obviously the punches are fake and all that stuff, mm-hmm. but it doesn't mean it's not. Oh, I can't believe I'm talking myself into wrestling. Oh, here. you're so close. <laughs> you're so close. You remember what you said on the last podcast? You're like, you know, I think wrestling is it's basically like superheroes. This makes a lot of sense to me. You're so close. No, it's like uh, writing a superhero comic is like writing wrestling matches. It doesn't have to be high art. It doesn't have to be Shakespeare. Right. It's like teeing up people to fight, give them enough juice and motivation. What does juice actually mean, by the way? Uh, in the in reference to the title of my comic. Or, yeah, I assume it's connected to, to wrestling it is. as well. Hard style juice is a um, is referring to uh, when you get cut open um, in a way that was not scripted. So, like usually it, when they bleed in wrestling matches, ninety percent of the time they're like cutting themselves, like with a mm-hmm. razor blade on their forehead. <clears throat> yeah. Um, but if you were to get cut open because someone hits you for real, or like you hit your head on something, that's called being cut open the hard style, hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, and so hard style juice is when you get cut open the, the hard way. So in this and, case, juice means blood. Okay. All right. Yeah. All right. I got it. Uh, I'm still not a proponent of wrestling. I don't want you to think you're so close. I'm telling you, you're like <laughs> no, one, I swear. you're one live event away from <laughs> like, okay, I get it. This is cool. Uh, <laughs> uh Yeah. We'll get you. We're going to get you there. Yeah. I mean, considering I'm basically writing wrestling comics that have a Batman <laughs> title on them. Yeah. Um, no, trust and, me, we'll get you. And, you know, it's not that dissimilar from what my wife reads, where it's romance uh, books, where it's basically sure. writing r- wrestling books where they, have, they, they fuck each other on the mat, <laughs> literally. <laughs> well, I, I think I've said this before. I, I think I probably said this on the last time we talked about it, but I had a friend... <laughs> who was not into wrestling in any way, shape, or form come over when we had people over for SummerSlam a couple of years ago. And yeah. she, I think she was just kind of morbidly curious. And at some point she goes, oh, this is basically like RuPaul's Drag Race, except they fight each other. And I was like, yeah. And she's like, <laughs> I get it. I like this. <laughs> that There's a similar line in Glow where uh, the main character, Debbie, is watching, and she's a... Uh, uh, daytime soap opera actress and she's very much not a fan of wrestling she doesn't get it she has no interest and suddenly when she realizes there's a story gone she's like oh my god it's a soap yeah. opera mm-hmm. i can do this like that i think that is the aha moment that i had as well and that's kind of what you just described right yeah yeah it's it's just it's um <clears throat> you know it yeah it's it's i think why i gravitated to it was because it was so similar to comic books it's to it's good and evil um yeah with some uh, what's the uh, problem between the two right. of them that they need to solve with uh, <laughs> throwing each other on the ground? Yeah, no, man. Uh, were, were any, was anybody mad at the movie The Wrestler for revealing too many secrets or too many inside truths about the sport? I honestly don't know. I can't remember. I don't think so because there's a lot of real wrestlers in that movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that uh, the the there's a lot of secrets that are kind of common knowledge now because that the era of it all being secret is kind of over. Yeah. Arguably, right. it arguably ended with the Montreal screw job because that was mm-hmm. up until that, and this is going to go on for days about this up, un- up until that <laughs> this point, is your favorite subject. Yeah, up until that point, Vince McMahon was not known as the guy who was in charge. He was just one of the announcers. And then yeah. v- what he ended up doing 
this is kind of he's a horrible person, but he's kind of he's he's brilliant as far as like a businessman and a storyteller actually because he yeah. used the Montreal screw job that exposed him as the villain of the story. He took that and he turned it to his own benefit by amping that up and making himself the villain of the company. So he right. became an on-screen character who was the <clears throat> evil overlord, essentially, riding the line yeah. between reality and fiction. <clears throat> he became yeah, this, that I remember. Yeah, he became, quote-unquote, <clears throat> Mr. McMahon. And it was the right. uh, basically the, the explosion of wrestling in the 90s, in the mid to late 90s, is basically because of, of that one incident. Right. Yeah. <clears throat> but to get back to Batman. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Excuse me. Um, I did want to talk about Batwoman as a character a bit because she has kind of an interesting history. Obviously, she is on TV right now on a CW show, a live action show. Right. But she or- originated as a character from 1956. Uh, yeah. She was introduced as a love interest for Batman in order to combat the allegations of Batman's homosexuality yep. <clears throat> arising from the book <laughs> Seduction of the Innocent by uh, yeah. Frederick Wortham. Um, yeah, I love that tidbit. Uh, he's she's proof that he's not gay. Yes, yeah, and like it's and, uh, it's. Uh, I didn't realize how of the era she was as a character. She doesn't have a utility belt. She has a utility purse. Yeah. Um, oh. <laughs> yeah. Her costume is yellow and purple too. It doesn't look Batman colored at all. Right. Right. Um, and I guess she was around till about 1964 when the new editor got rid of her. Uh, they kind of replaced her with Batgirl. Um, yeah. But it's I, I find her history interesting because she was created as this way to prove that, hey, look, Batman's not gay. He's got a girlfriend. And now the current mm-hmm. version of Batwoman is a lesbian, which is which is yeah. a great comeuppance for that point of view uh, from the 50s. When did she become gay? Um, well, this version of Bat- Batwoman is the original version is Kathy Kane. Who was? Mm-hmm. Uh, it's actually a little bit kind of fucked up because <laughs> we want to talk about weird romances that Batman has had. Kathy yeah. Kane was Bruce Wayne's aunt by marriage, and mm-hmm. when her husband died, she then ended up becoming Batwoman, and then later on dating Bruce Wayne. So she ended up dating her own nephew, who she oh. was not blood related to, but still, it's kind of weird. I think huh. there's. I think you want to you want to Google that. You'll there's plenty yeah. of videos. I think will come up with that content if you want. Well, you know, now it does sound like wrestling. You got <laughs> incest. I don't think is there. I don't. <laughs> not that I. Can, I, I mean, I'm sure there has been, but I. I no, I'm talking about with the fans. <laughs> oh, I see. Yes. Okay. <laughs> it was a trailer park joke. Yeah. All okay. Right. Now here you go. You're, you're you're just being a heel right now. You got it. <laughs> Um, but yeah, she was. Uh, she came back the Kathy Kane version at the time that this movie came out. They had not revamped her yet because that yeah. doesn't come until like I think 2011 or something. Um, right. And Kathy Duquesne is actually a reference to Kathy Kane. They wanted to use the name Kathy Kane, but they couldn't because I guess DC objected because the Batwoman of this movie acts kind of like a villain at some point. This is IMDb trivia, so who knows if it's true. Okay, yeah. Um, so they kind of tweaked the name a bit. But uh, she right. kind of um, she kind of pops up from time to time after the 60s. Like, she shows up in the 70s a couple times. And then, of course, yeah. uh, Grant Morrison used her in 
Batman Incorporated in 2011. Uh, right. Oh, I'm sorry. The, the Aunt by Marriage story is actually a modern story. So that is that's the Grant Morrison story. Is that oh, she's Bruce Wayne's Aunt by Marriage after she was widowed? She and Bruce fought side by side and were lovers for a time. So, yeah, there you go. That, that tracks. Um, um, well, she came on my radar when um, J. H. Williams was drawing her, mm-hmm. and um, I forget who the writer was. That Gail Simone. Yes. Um, and that's when she had the fake red hair and she was, you know, out and loud and proud. I, mean, I don't know if that was the first time. Was that a spinoff of uh, Batman Incorporated? No, it's actually a different character. <clears throat> oh, sorry. Uh, her character is Kate Kane. So it's a similar name, but it's okay. uh, it's a, a different universe, basically, version, I think, where uh, this is Kate Kane. And her first appearance was... Uh, after the new 52 i think which was in like 2006 okay. so she gets her first series uh yeah somewhere in there around 2006 2007 and she is still the current the current batwoman incarnation is kate kane right i'm uh so i'm so we're talking about turning a character from straight to being gay uh and it made me think about this my script that I just wrote yesterday where I'm making Duke into Robin mm-hmm. and he's the first black Robin. Um, and I, uh, was sort of making a, uh, I'm not sure what I'm trying to say here. I'm trying to do, we, I'm trying to weave that thread in a similar way. Um, and I'm wor- worried about the pushback I'm going to get as a straight white guy trying to do this. Um, so Duke, the quick story about Duke is uh, he became the signal, but 10 years ago I was drawing a story with Scott Snyder and they had all these different versions of Batman in the future. And one of them was like a Blade Runner Batman. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, the Robin could be whatever. And I just finished reading a Batman graphic novel and all the Robins were in a cave arguing and they're all white. And, um, you know, I try to be woke and I'm like, this just, why is there no black Robin? This is just getting ridiculous, Right. right? So when I drew this um, story, I'm like, I'm just going to make Robin Black. Uh, and I took a picture of it, and I was like, hmm, should I ask DC permission, or should I just post it and deal with the consequences? And uh, there really can't be many consequences, because DC is a, you know, a lot of people there are liberals, and I don't think most people give a shit if Robin's Black or not, honestly. I think maybe on social media we get the bad impression of each other, but I think generally most of us, 99% of the country doesn't care or would be excited so i'm like screw it i'm just gonna post it and we'll see what happens mm-hmm. so dc had their agenda that day of like oh we're gonna push x y and z and they started getting these phone calls from like i don't know new york times wanting to know about the first african-american robin mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and they're like what is going on so i got these uh phone calls from dc and they're like hey sean uh how you doing uh did you post something earlier and i was like yeah you know i'm really excited about this book you know i, I really think this should be an african-american a, a black robin uh and it's important why i use black instead of african-american mm-hmm. for a second um and they're like okay uh first of all stop calling him black robin <laughs> call him african-american robin yeah. and we need to have a meeting if you get this he's out from the dominican republic uh, i know do i know i know no, I, I understand why they said that yes <laughs> So, and I know that they, as a woke company, are fine with this. And a lot of people would herald this. Sometimes decisions like this get weighed down and no one wants to pull the trigger. 
which is exactly why I just pulled the trigger for them. Mm-hmm. So I talked to Scott Snyder, and he was like, oh, okay, you know, this is kind of a, uh, unraveling quickly here. Why don't I give him a name? I'll name him Duke Thomas, and I'll put him in my story, and then he'll eventually be the first Robin. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, great. So, yay, I did something for black people, was my thought. <laughs> um, there you go, world. So, uh, yeah, now, now who's racist? Not me. Um, so has fast any, forward have, to... Has anybody ever thanked you for that? I mean... N- no, 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 no uh, one. one guy did, actually. One editor, one, one black editor, Joe Hughes, uh, who I worked with before, reached out to me later that day, and he's like, I'm guessing you just did this and didn't ask permission. And I was like, yep. And he's like, good job. Oh, okay. So right. he did thank me. So I was like, all right, I got one brother on my side. I feel like I'm on the right track here. Um, so uh, DC was like, uh, sorry, no, Scott, he turned this Duke Thomas. He didn't make him a Robin at all. He made them the signal, mm-hmm. which was a book that I don't know if it did very well. And it doesn't seem like it was been that well received. Um, and I was sort of disappointed because I really teed this guy up to be the black Robin and it didn't work out that way. Mm-hmm. He basically got canceled. I'm like, oh, fuck. So, when it came to doing my book, I'm like, well, I'm going to use Duke Thomas because I kind of sort of accidentally created him. Uh, I'm going to make him older. He's more like Luke Cage, right? There's no secret mm-hmm. there. Um, so now I've I, three volumes in now. I've been trying to get Duke to become Robin. And each volume, I push it because each volume I just assume is going to be my last mm-hmm. one. And again, my editors are like, I don't know, like it's sort of a risk and no one on the team is black and can we do that? And I'm like, are you kidding me? You, like if we had a black letterer, this would be okay. Do you want some ammunition the next time that they tell you that? <clears throat> sure. You know I love ammo. Uh, have you read the Batman 89 book? No. Batman 89 has a black Robin in it. Oh, that's great. And there, I, I, I mean, I know Joe is not black and I know, and I'm pretty sure Sam Hamm is not black, so... This is uptight white people psyching themselves out. This is what happens. And I have a lot of black friends who agree. This is what white people do sometimes is they want to help, but they get afraid that they're going to get canceled or whatever. So that's good to know. I will tell them that. Um, They might have only approved that because I accidentally created Duke Thomas 10 years ago, honestly. Uh, Um, I'm not sure. Like, uh, Not to take anything away from from what you're saying but uh i I know that way way back when they were originally planning to do a third batman with Mm -hmm. uh, michael keaton i think the plan was to do robin and it was going to be like marlon waynes or something or one of the Waynes. i remember that too so i I don't know if maybe they're they're doing that because it that has been sam ham's plan for 30 years i don't know but regardless that would be great too regardless yeah no they're doing it i don't know if, if they're getting any pushback about it yeah, no, honestly, like, I'm not arguing for, for credit. I just want the right thing to sure, be done. Sure. If whatever gets them to make a, a Black Robin and to stop being so fucking weird about it. So when I pushed my Duke Thomas, who, again, is like Luke Cage, he's thick, he's like six feet, whatever, mm. they're like, he's just going to wear a Robin costume with, like, bell shoes and a cape? Like, it's going to look weird. He's going to be wearing shorts? Like, they thought he would be looking like a 1960s Robin. Mm-hmm. Like, Luke Cage dressed as 1960s Robin. Like, yeah, okay, that's weird. But I was telling them, no, 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 no. He's going to look like, you know, Robin, but as a Mortal Kombat character. He's going to look like Night Thrasher from Marvel or whatever. Like, obviously, I will make it fit. He will not be wearing green bell slippers. Like, Jesus Christ. And even then, they were like, eh, you know, we really want to do it, but maybe now it's not the time. So, finally, uh, I'm going to do it um, this series. I have Duke getting an old Robin costume. It's given to him by Batgirl. He's going to be a vigilante, and he looks, I think, awesome. Uh, And... um, 
I drew the page, so I'm like, finally, 10 years of pushing for <laughs> Black Robin. I, I finally got here. Uh, and what I want to do for a joke is um, Duke says, about time, there's a Black Robin. And that's kind of a wink to my own drama here. Mm-hmm. And uh, he goes, I think I'm going to call myself Black Robin. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and Bruce goes, no, we can't call you that. He doesn't say, we can't call you that, it's racist. He goes, we're not calling you Black Robin. And then Barbara goes, it's too late because uh, the fight you guys were just in, everyone saw it on TV and all the kids in Backport, which is like a black part of Gotham, all these black kids love it and they're all calling him Black Robin. And Duke goes, yeah, they're proud. And I don't know if all that's going to get edited out because... You can see where the laser beams are, right? And you have to, how you have to be careful there. Uh, yeah. <laughs> like we're not going to have a book called Black Robin, obviously, but I think it would be kind of funny, tongue in cheek, if people in Gotham called him that and he just sort of didn't acknowledge it because it's not important that he's black. It's just important that he's a cool character at the end of the day. You know what I mean? Yes. All right. So you sound hesitant. Tell I, me what you're thinking. I th- I, <laughs> I think we can I think we can workshop that and have it work, but. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> let's not waste any more time here doing it. No, I'm not trying to antagonize people. No, I just I, no, think totally, it'd be, totally. Yeah, <laughs> don't worry. You'll get the script. You can help me comb <laughs> through it and make it more politically correct. But the point of it is, it doesn't have to be politically correct because this. I feel like in real life, this would actually happen, mm-hmm. and I think he would embrace it in a way because he's. I don't know. <laughs> Again, we our our letterer is black, so I am going to ask him if this tracks with him. If he's against it, then I won't do it. But <laughs> I do have a shield on my team, so to speak, and I hate that I even have to do that. But <laughs> oh boy, um, uh, yes. Uh, but everyone listening to this knows that my heart's in the right place, right? Like, yes. I, they know that I'm not Hulk Hogan of comics yes. here. <laughs> yeah, the heart is in the right place, regardless of where the hey, brother. Um, yeah. Uh, well, I guess we may as well round it out at this point. Uh, I, also, Kate Kane, Kate Kane was created by Jeff Johns. Uh, oh, it actually says Kate Kane created by Jeff Johns, Grant Morrison, Greg Rucka, Mark Wade, and Keith Giffen. So I'm assuming those are all the writers who have worked on her book. But the first, wow. one, first one was Jeff Johns. That's a complicated uh, royalty check. I, I that must just be like the people who the writers who have written the the, the Batwoman book. Oh, I, I, got I it. can't imagine those are all. Also, like shareholder, yeah, shareholders. Also, it kind of sucks yep. that the artist doesn't get any credit there. But you know, what are you going to do? Yep. Um, <laughs> anyway, so yeah, what would uh, what would you like to draw from this movie? Uh, I would redraw the uh, Catwoman costume, the and ba- uh, I really Batwoman liked her car. Sorry, yeah, Batwoman costume. Mm-hmm. How about you? Yeah, I don't know. Um, there's there's actually a moment in this in this movie that I really liked that was a really just like a quiet moment that was probably my favorite bit where batman is in a room a dark room and one of the uh the henchmen with the black eye opens yeah. the door takes one step in <laughs> looks at batman and like pauses and then just takes a step back out and closes the door and the other guy goes is, is everything okay and he goes, is something wrong and he goes nope and they just keep walking the yeah. other way <laughs> yeah i would want to guy that. Ba- that would be a fun page that's that was pretty funny, yeah, because Batman knocked him out the day before or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That would be a fun, fun yeah. uh, uh, visual storytelling That's true. gag, I think. Yeah. And also, yeah, you know, I also hate that Bane costume. I'm on the record saying that. I would like to do a different Bane costume, but what do you got? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You don't like punk spiky Bane. We get it. You don't like fun. 
he's a little too BDSM for me, I think. <laughs> That's fair. Um, um, for for a rating, I'm going to go two out of five. Okay. And uh, I think the animation's fine. I think the bones are there. But I would have redone this completely and had... I like that three girls are Batwoman. Mm-hmm. I think keep that. But make them all... Like, they all used to be waitresses at the Iceberg Lounge. And make this movie about Penguin, who has been trying to go legit, and it doesn't work out. Mm-hmm. So it's about his business crumbling. And you've got these three old ex-employees who maybe were henchmen for him, too, or something. Because he has those, like, ninja waitresses at the nice, Iceberg nice, Lounge. Yeah. So make those girls, like, they met there, and they're all united against him. You don't need Rupert Thorne. You don't need Bane. Um and I would just go from there, honestly. I think that would be a much better story and a lot easier to understand, honestly. Yeah. And they all, you know, you can still work in the Batwoman element and yada, yada, yada. Yeah, I think I think if they if they uh, focused it on one one villain as the main, main guy that these women were going after, I agree. I think that would be good. I actually don't mind Bane because I think he's a decent way to kind of up the ante for the last quarter of the movie or whatever is bringing in some bigger muscle than just because these these three guys are not really you know these are not uh physical physically imposing figures that they're dealing with right so bring in bane who has well i, I put an asterisk on there because when i say bring in bane in my mind it's bringing in the comic book bane who has a history of actually fucking batman up pretty good <laughs> not mm-hmm. the animated bat bane who is gets punked out quite frequently i actually thought he did a he was held his own pretty well in this episode in this movie i thought Probably better yeah. than he has in other episodes of the show, but um, but yeah, I think I would I would streamline it a bit, um, make the uh, motivations a little bit more in line. I, I I do really like the three women as as Batwoman thing. I think that's cool. I think I'd probably give mm-hmm. it a three. I like I, I like I said I was not expecting a lot, and the 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 mystery actually got me. I was legitimately mm-hmm. surprised by it because I, I I thought I knew what was going on, and I clearly didn't. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I would I would probably give it a, a, another tick up from from there from two just because of uh, of of that. But yeah, it's it's pretty pretty down the middle. It would be a, a middle of the road episode of the show, I think. Yeah. Okay. But, that's fair. But yeah, I think that's going to do it for Mystery of the Batwoman. I think I think uh, what we have next is Batman Beyond, right? Uh yeah. If you want to not do um, Batman uh, <laughs> and Harley Quinn, I, I think we should do it chronologically. <laughs> okay we'll good. get to that someday. i have no interest to dive into that yeah, I, I don't really either oh well um oh we already talked about it i was going to mention the episode where uh superman uh takes over batman but we, we sort of talked about it yeah i yeah i was uh, someone mentioned that there was a fourth episode that batman is on of superman and i was yeah. i was like oh if, we'll get to it if we do superman down the line but i think, okay. I think we've covered enough of that yeah, definitely. Then Batman Beyond it is, for sure. Cool. Very convenient. Cool. Excellent. Uh, well, that sounds good. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you want to support our show, you can do that by going to patreon.com slash the Penske file, which, ha- which is the Patreon for all of our podcasts. It's the Penske file, Star Trek podcast, the Rod and Horror Picture Show, Horror podcast, and Badass, the Batman the Animated Series Show podcast. Um, and we'll have a new, actually, Patreon-exclusive episode where uh, you and I talk more about the Red Hood book that uh, yeah. I don't even know if I should say. is. Uh, I guess it hasn't been announced yet, so it's weird to 
talk about it and say yeah. like we're talking about it. But if you want to hear our thoughts about what Red Hood might be like in the White Knight mm-hmm. universe, which is not um, <laughs> definitely not bound to anything that is actually happening. <laughs> wink, 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 wink. Uh, you can find the yeah. episode that'll be up soon on on Patreon. I mean, uh, that announcement will come with issue one hitting the stands, so mid March. Okay, all right. So yeah, it'll be it'll be pretty soon. So maybe I'll. I, I honestly don't care. I don't think anyone cares. Yeah, should do you think we should wait until that to put that episode up, or do you think we should put it up before then? What do you think? I say put it up whenever you want. Okay, who cares? All right, maybe if, if, if again if that's coming in March, maybe I'll I'll put mm-hmm. it up in Patreon for Patreon for February. Put it up if there's any problem, I'll deal with it. Okay. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, but thank you guys for listening. Yeah. Um, thank you, Sean, as always. Thanks, man. Black Robin forever. Yeah. And uh, we will be back next time in the near future with Batman Beyond. <laughs> <laughs>